drought brings restrictions in a drying canal? What is the likelihood of a recession? And finding good workers gets even harder. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Trevera Logistics. Trevera Logistics is an experienced Midwest-based freight brokerage firm. They have a national network of trusted carriers ready to meet your freight transportation needs. Visit Trevero.com and let their experts find a solution for you. That's T-R-A-V-E-R-O.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, the world continues to see the effects of climate change and is now affecting our transportation networks. Ongoing drought conditions in Central America has caused lower water levels in the Panama Canal, restricting the vessels that can make the canal journey. How long will the restrictions possibly last and what will be the effects on ocean shipping as we approach peak season? To find out more, here's Ben with today's guest. Ben? Thanks, Dave. Uh, Your introduction was right on. There have been those severe droughts throughout Central America in recent months. And the Panama Canal is expected to reach an all-time low weather level in July. Uh, Rains come and go. It varies a little bit, but that's the track. Uh, Looking a little bit further out, the El Nino global weather system hitting the region later this year on a forecast could even exacerbate that dry spell. Uh, As you said, those changes are already hitting freight carriers. I I don't believe that they are yet uh, restricting the size of the ships that can go through, but the amount of freight that can fit on each one. Um, Either way, they would need more water to float, of course. But to talk about the possible impacts on shippers and carriers, we have this week's guest on our show, who's Barth DeMunk. He is Chief Industry Officer for Project 44, which provides supply chain visibility platforms. Welcome, Bart. Hey, Ben. Good talking to you. Yeah, great to have you with us again. Uh, to begin with, we're talking about a very specific link in global supply chains this week. Uh, maybe you could tell our listeners how that one little canal fits into the big variety of routes and lanes that Project 44 tracks. Yeah, very good, Ben. And yes, it might be a small link, but it's a very important one, right? And Panama Canal is really, really one of those essential uh, trade arteries uh, that connects the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. If you look overall, that canal is responsible for three and a half percent of all of global trade. So if you want to kind of imagine what that means, it's about 15,000 vessels per year that go through the canal. So on average, about 40 per day. Most of that is container and dry bulk. And so that drought has an immediate impact on the volume that can go through the canals. It's actually limiting the amount of transits today. Uh, Typically, you would do 36 to 34 transits a day. Now, we're seeing that restricted to 32 to 30 transits a day. That's about 12.5% less. At the same time, because of drought, the draft of the ships have to be lower, which means that you can... uh, you know, transport less product, less weight on those uh, assets as well. And that means, you know, more movements that are needed to have that same capacity flowing through the canal. 
And obviously that also means that there's an increase of cost because the ship still costs the same, the transit cost of passing through the Panama Canal are still the same, and eventually that cost will be passed on to the consumer. Yeah, fascinating. Those are great numbers to, to show us exactly um, what, what's going on down there. Um, uh, however, just to play devil's advocate, there are a lot of variables in global supply chains. I'm thinking, for example, a, a lot of um, importers uh, spent the last few months trying to avoid the U.S. West Coast because of possible labor strikes out there that, fingers crossed, that looks to be getting eased at this point. That one's solved. But people, there are workarounds, right? Or uh, Or is this a bigger problem than that? I think it is a bigger problem, Ben, because at the one uh, part you have to look at it, yes, uh, we've seen some of the volumes going through the Panama Canal that used to go to the West Coast. And because of uncertainty and some of the issues that we've seen and still continue to see on the West Coast with some of the workers, we have seen some of that movement going to uh, the East Coast. Florida has been one of the, the areas that have seen a huge increase the last few years from containers coming from the West Coast into uh, Florida. But at the same time, you also have to look at it. There are uh, you know, shipments that originally were going into the East Coast that have to go through the Panama Canal. And secondly, there's also export, right? So if you look at, there's a lot of grain, for example, coming out of New Orleans that's going to China that has to go the other direction through the Panama Canal. So you have to look at it from both sides. And then the other part is also the timing of it. Uh, you mentioned earlier that July, just you know, a few days away, we're going to probably see another restriction in the draft because we see continuation of that letter. And July is kind of a peak season in shipping because a lot of people have already ordered their stuff maybe for Thanksgiving or for Christmas. And those products are actually on their way through the canal, on, on, on their way through all of the D.C. So from a timing perspective, from all the flows, it does have a huge impact. And let's not forget, when we talk about trade, and I, I talked about some percentages earlier, we're talking about a total value of about $270 billion worth of goods on an annual basis. So that's that's a pretty big number. Yeah, and great reminder, thank you, about about the the, uh, the exports as well. The, you, you, obviously, you can't so easily move uh, the the origin of the exports there, of course. Um, but the, your, your point about the timing is great, because that was really something that was critical for those West Coast port discussions um, that, that we all saw a few weeks ago, um, because it may seem like the middle of summer to most people, but um, it, this is really the critical time, isn't it, for the, the winter peak, for, the, for the, those Christmas presents that are starting to come in? Yeah, you're, you're right. It's it's not just for that. Even for retailers, right, who are bringing in product, they're already shipping now. Uh, for example, in clothing and apparel, they're bringing in next uh, next year's spring collection, right? So all of that has a six to nine month uh, lead time. Sometimes people think, well, if I order something, is that just going to come from China a month beforehand? And then that's what we've seen in the past because of a lot of the uncertainty people have ordering uh, ordered their inventory ahead of time, which also led last year to huge increases in inventory. And that's what we saw this year as well. Uh, we discussed it last week with the State of Logistics report that we now have the highest logistics cost we've ever seen. And a big part of that is because we see inventory carrying costs go up. So any disruption like the Panama Canal is also potentially impacting inventory. Either the inventory is going to arrive late because there's a holdup, or the other side might be, well, you're just ordering more inventory, hoping it's going to get there. And now you're stuck with an inventory that's really too high, which, again, is impacting your cost and overall is reducing profit margins. 
Yeah, great points. So far, we've just been talking about uh, weight limits, um, or, or you know, the, the, the draft, uh, so the sizes of the ships there, um, and and you you've mentioned the slowdown in the freight volume passage. I, I'm not spreading rumors, not to give our listeners PTSD, but I mean, of course, when you look at the Suez Canal, um, it was even worse than that. The, the, it shut down completely, of course, in 2021 um, for almost a week when the ever given container ship got stuck sideways there. Um, it, is that a fair comparison? How, how different would it be if the Panama Canal stopped running? Yeah, that, that would be really bad, right? And and it's I would say this, the situation is different because we still see flow going through the Panama Canal, although it's slower and at a lower level. And even with the, the less number of ships, we, we also see less container capacity on those ships. Um, now, that doesn't mean that First of all, it wouldn't get worse. And, and as you mentioned, it's going to get worse throughout the end of the, the year. And they're expecting next year, 2024, the weather even to get worse than it is this year with the El Nino effects. And that might even more heavily impact the Panama Canal. But there could be similar things where there are issues in the Panama Canal that are caused by other things that could shut it down. Now, I will say Suez Canal, although it had a huge impact, and the Suez Canal has a little bit more volume. It's about 21,000 ships that go through it. So it's it's even more. It's about 30, 40% more than what we see going through the Panama Canal. I will say that that uh, blockage of the Evergreen was kind of a, an exceptional uh, event where so many different things went wrong at the same time. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that have been put in place to prevent things like that happening. The other side was back then, a lot of people knew, oh, we've got containers on the ships. But again, a few years ago, most people did not not know, um, besides containers, what customer orders were on the ship or even the SKU level. And now with visibility, we can go down to the individual customer order, to the individual SKU. So we have the information also at hand that immediately we can see what of our customer orders are going to be impacted which also helps companies to kind of say, hey, what decisions do we make around shipping maybe things error if they have to be expedited and have to be and are essential to the customers? Got it. And and, and that's a great segue um, to wrap up here. My, my, my last question today was going to be what sort of advice Project 44 is offering uh, to its clients around this time um, that, that where, where we have these Panama problems. Um, I did, you, you mentioned, of course, visibility and much better depth of awareness of exactly what's on the ship. Um, is, is that the kind of information that, that you're advising that, that your clients work or, or what, what, uh, what would I hear if I were in that room? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ben. So basically what all these disruptions, right, have, have really shown that our supply chains are more vulnerable. Why? Because our supply chains have become so much more global. So something that happens in Panama or happens in Ukraine, happens somewhere in China or anywhere else has an immediate impact around the world, much more than at any time in history. And so it's very important for companies to continue building that resilient supply chain and also building agility meaning to be very dynamic and flexible where they can make very quick decisions, but also accurately forecast and plan their supply chains. And to be to be able to do that, you really need to have that supply chain visibility. You need to have the data that allows you to proactively manage those risks and as much as you can anticipate some of these disruptions, but then be able to get from the data and the facts very quickly to what are the decisions that I need to take and execute those very quickly to make sure that you can maintain operational continued continuity. And that's really important. And as I said, 
with uh, some of the El Nino's effects continuing to get worse this year and also next year, companies really need to continue to invest in those technologies, and that's really going to help them with their risk management strategies. Got it. Great advice for everybody, I'm sure. Uh, Bart, we really appreciate your being with us today and sharing that. Thanks for having me on, Ben. Our guest today has been Bart DeMunk from Project 44. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Bart and Ben. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you were a presenter at the SMC3 conference this past week in Florida, and you had some time to cover and write about what freight experts are saying about the current sluggish freight market. What insights can you share about it and the overall economy as well? Yeah, that's right, Dave. I was at uh, the SMC3 Connections Conference this week. Uh, it's an event that brings together carriers, shippers, logistics services providers, and technology companies for three days of meetings and educational programming. Because this event is focused on trucking, there was much talk about the freight recession we're experiencing, as you mentioned. So consensus is that the sluggish conditions in freight are going to continue and that relief isn't likely until next year. This issue came up in a couple of different presentations with experts noting that the truckload sector has been hit the hardest with one presenter saying he had never seen demand for service across truckload be this and I'm quoting persistently quiet. Um, others indicated that these tough conditions will soon hit the less than truckload market as well and that a recession in the broader U.S. economy is on the horizon. There's been a lot of chatter about that for the past year or so of course but I guess it looks like the ultimate overall slowdown in the economy may be on the way. Victoria, were there any details that they gave about how long or deep they feel a recession may be? Yes, yes. Economist uh, Keith Prather, he's with a company called Armada Corporate Intelligence. Um, he elaborated on the economic outlook, agreeing that a U.S. recession is likely, but he said, you know, if, if we do feel it, it will probably be, quote, shallow and short. Uh, there are so many moving parts right now that it's difficult to say just how bad things may get. Uh, those moving parts include high interest rates and whether or not pressures will ease there, uh, and inventory levels, which have drawn down compared to a year ago when there was a glut of inventory in many supply chains. But the restocking that usually starts to occur at this time of year for peak shipping season hasn't uh, materialized as it usually does. So the concern is that peak season may not be super strong or it may be more drawn out than in years past. Some of the issues Ben and Bart discussed just a minute ago will have an effect on that um, as well. But the general outlook is that if we continue to hit these kind of low points uh, in 2023, we're likely to see a sort of slow digging out from those conditions in both 2024 and 2025. So a lot could still happen, of course, uh, but these slower freight uh, and transportation industry conditions are likely to hang around for a while based on what I heard this week. Right, and it seems that there are no easy fixes. We'll take some time. We just have to hope the downturn is short-lived. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And Ben, we all know that it's difficult to find good workers in the tight labor market. And you wrote this week about how employers are discovering a rising rate of positive drug tests among new applicants. Can you share some of the details? Glad to. It, it's, it, it seems as if everywhere you turn uh, right now, there are challenges, but staying fully staffed up um, it is one of those <laughs> foundational things you gotta have to be able to run the business. Uh, and, and as you said, we learned that that's getting a little bit harder because of that rising rate of positive drug tests. Uh, the data comes from Quest Diagnostics. Many people may have heard of them. 
just from their local uh, checkups, but they're a company that processes um, test samples uh, that, that your doctor or that employers may collect from workers at, in, in the workplace. That's usually a urine test. Uh, Quest anonymizes those tests. They do millions of them and they analyze them for trends. And they recently found that the overall workplace drug test positivity rate in the US has climbed to a two decade high point. Um, to be specific, that high point was four and a half percent in 2022. And that's greater than three and a half percent back in 2012. Um, so a clear trend, um, it, 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 the numbers are not uh, enormous, but still. One reason for the increase um, seems to be the obvious one, and that's the legalization of marijuana in many states. Uh, in 2012, uh, that, that 10 years ago reference point they made, that's when Colorado and Washington became the first states to legalize marijuana for recreational use. And since then, 19 additional states and the District of Columbia have legalized that, and 38 states have also legalized medical use. So Quest said that um, in addition, the use of amphetamines is on the rise, of course, if you read the headlines, uh, that they count both prescribed and illicit uses. Of course, their tests can't tell the difference, but, uh, but those rates are just about a third as common as marijuana. And those are definitely interesting trends, but did they say how these changes could affect companies hiring within the logistics sector? Uh, yes, actually, they gave some data about specific sectors that this was interesting. Um, first, I want to point out that supply chain workforce in general probably gets tested more often than some other sectors. Quest statistics cover both uh, company policy testing, that's by private employers, but there's also a whole range of workers uh, who have federally mandated testing. Uh, they generally work in safety sensitive areas. That includes transportation workers. Uh, you think of pilots, truck drivers, train conductors, um, but also on that federally mandated list uh, are, are things like federal employees and like the nuclear power industry. Uh, but overall, Quest said that the top six industries for positive drug tests, um, the one where there were the, the most of them is retail trade, and then accommodation and food services, and then transportation and warehousing. Uh, so that was, um, you, you don't want to be in the top three necessarily in this list. Um, after that was construction, and then manufacturing, and then finance and insurance. So, you know, those rates obviously could have uh, a variety of impacts on the workplace. Uh, one that caught my eye was that the Quest report also tracked test results for employees who had been involved in accidents because employers often test those workers specifically afterwards. And they found that in 2022, the post-accident marijuana positivity of the urine drug tests in the entire US workforce was 7.3%. Obviously, that's a lot higher than the overall rate that we mentioned before of uh, four and a half. Uh, still, you know, just doing the math, the flip side, um, if you have 7% uh, who had positive rates after accidents, that means that 93% of them did not uh, and were presumably sober. So it, it, it's hard to, to tie that together in terms of causality, but, um, you know, it, it, it's still, it's one of those rates that you don't necessarily want to see climbing uh, in, in your own business. Right. And especially when our industry relies so heavily on human talent, it makes it very difficult to, to find the right workforce. Sure does. Thanks, Ben. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Also, check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. And we'd like to thank again Bart DeMunk from Project 44 for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. 
We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Quarterly. We have a new eight-part series on transportation tech. Check out our Supply Chain in the Fast Lane podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Travera Logistics. Travera Logistics is an experienced Midwest-based freight brokerage firm. They have a national network of trusted carriers ready to meet your freight transportation needs. Visit Travero.com and let their experts find you a solution. That's T-R-A-V-E-R-O.com. Next week, our nation celebrates its independence, and some new stats from Trucker Path shows that 55% of our nation's truck drivers will actually take July 4th off, with 27% of them reporting that they plan to take more than five days off next week. So the roads may be a little clearer for some of that travel. Uh, 78% of them say that they plan to be grilling steaks, hamburgers, and hot dogs next week. So we plan to join them by grilling on our own uh, grills at home. So we'll not have an episode next week, but we'll return again with Logistics Matters on July 14th. So we hope to see you then. And in the meantime, have a great Independence Holiday Week. <music>